In this episode, I was privileged to have as a guest Hasti Gomez, who was born in Iran into a Muslim family. We address the differences between Islam and Christianity, as well as the million-dollar question, uh, does Islam promote violence? I hope you enjoy. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. Welcome to Theology Applied. This is Pastor Joel with Right Response Ministries. Today, I am privileged to have as a guest, Hasti Gomez. And Hasti goes by the label Biblical and Reformed with her social media ministry. And uh, she's followed some of our stuff. I've, I followed some of hers. I saw her uh, as an interview on Doreen Virtue's channel and reached out to her. And so I'm happy to have her on the show today. We're going to talk about uh, her journey, her testimony. We're also going to talk a little bit about Islam. And so uh, I'm excited for the episode that we have in store. So without further ado, Hasti, would you go ahead and just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your social media ministry? Yeah. Hi, Joel. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Um, I live in Vancouver with my husband, our kids, Joshua and Isabel, and our dog, Gospel. Um, I keep busy raising them and taking care of our home and packing lunch kits. Uh, for my husband. Um, lately, I've been uh, a little busier trying to finish my website, uh, where I'm trying to making some, uh, some merch that has uh, sound theology on it that can, you know, help um, people start a discussion and a conversation about the gospel. Um, I'll send you one. <laughs> Great, thank you. Um, and um, yeah, my social media really, it started um, around, I think I started my account in 2017. And this is while I was still in the first church that I um, attended for over a decade. And um, I really wanted something for myself. It was personal. I wanted some aesthetically nice pictures with Bible verses. I really didn't have any idea about sound theology then. But as I came out of that church and I discovered sound theology and sound doctrine, um, my page started reflecting that change. And that's mm-hmm. how Biblical and Reform came about. That's cool. How many followers do you have at this point? Um, I think around over 40,000. Wow, that's really cool. Do you mainly post just scripture verses, quotes? Do you ever blog or anything like that? What's the, what's the main gist of your content? Really, the content, I, how it started was I was learning, and then I was like, I need to share this. If someone like me who's come out of false teachings can learn from it, then great. That's how it all started. So even to mm-hmm. this day, when I listen to a preacher and I, I hear something that I'm like, that is so good, I'll share that. I won't share profound things just because they sound profound. If I don't understand it, I won't share it. <laughs> so I have mm-hmm. to understand yeah. it. I have to apply it. And uh, mm-hmm. if I'm moved by it, I'll share it. And it's That's mostly great. from cool. uh, Reformed, sound, biblical teachers. That's great. Who are uh, mm-hmm. some of your favorite teachers uh, alive today that you would find yourself listening to? Different pastors, theologians. Um, John MacArthur is one of the top ones. Derek Thomas, Sinclair Ferguson, um, Stephen Lawson, Joel Webin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. So a lot of, yeah, yeah, 
So a lot of the the masters are grace to you guys and Ligonier, Ligonier and, and uh, Ligonier grace to you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. the the teaching fellows with Ligonier. Yeah, they put out yeah. a lot of great a lot of great series, a lot of great content. I like Derek uh, Derek Thomas his um, well, really kind of almost his exposition of Pilgrim's Progress. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've listened to that, and but the, other yeah. than the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress is arguably the best book uh, ever written. And uh, mm-hmm. I remember I had it on Audible and, uh, you know, I, I had read it before, but I listened to it over the course of three or four months of summer, uh, seven times to where I could recite yeah. some of the, some of the, um, the discourse, especially when, um, when Christian is, uh, engaging with talkative and, uh, yeah. and, and it's just, it's so profound and so insightful. And Derek Thomas does a really good job of making, uh, making sense of the story. Cause it is that old English kind of language that, uh, is lost yeah. on a lot of people, but it's not just the language. It's not just the style. Um, but the doctrine sadly is mm-hmm. lost on mm-hmm. many modern evangelicals today. Uh, it's deep doctrine. And, and really one of the over overarching principles is this idea that, um, yes, we have assurance of salvation. Uh, there's a moment when Christian, the protagonist, he loses his scroll that represents um, assurance and he has to go back and he has to find it. So he doesn't ultimately ever lose salvation. And so there is that assurance of salvation, the security of the believer. But what you're overwhelmed by throughout the entire uh, narrative is um, how much striving that, that is involved in this pilgrimage of, uh, of making it to the celestial city. It makes me think of Hebrews that, you know, that, that we should strive for the holiness for without which no one will see the Lord yeah. or the, or to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And there's a lot yeah. of people in the reformed camp that I think overemphasize grace to the point that they, um, that they don't really understand that, uh, that there is a sense in which the Christian diligently strives um, to follow after God. So Derek mm-hmm. Thomas, he's great. Ligonier, uh, big fan. So all that being said, let's go ahead and get to your personal story. So you were born in Iran mm-hmm. and you were born into Islam. You, your family, your parents. Uh, talk about that. Talk about your journey out of Islam. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was born in Iran. I was, um, I went to school there for a couple years and uh, my dad decided that he didn't want to live in Iran with the regime and with the with the craziness of Islam. And it was in the middle of the Iran-Iraq war uh, when I was born. So we were there until the war actually ended. So I was around eight years old when uh, we moved to Denmark, which is like black and white, like completely different countries. Um, mm. And I, to this day, I thank God that I was raised there because it's a beautiful country. Mm. Um so we moved to Denmark, my brother and I, my mom and my dad, and uh, we started living there as a, we identified as a Muslim family, even though my dad was a very nominal Christian, very liberal Christian. Um, I went to school Wait, there. You, we'll just say, you just said Christian, but did, did oh, you sorry, mean to say Muslim. nominal? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. That, that's yeah, what I figured, a liberal Muslim. A very liberal Muslim, yeah, and we identified as a Muslim family. Um, So I went to school there, and um, the only time um, I would go to a church was for a school play or concert, and that was the extent of Christianity that I knew. Um, Mm -hmm. It was beautiful churches, and that's about it. Nobody ever, um, in the 10 years that I was living there, shared the gospel with me, personally, no one. Mm-hmm. I was living in a Christian country, but not one person shared uh, the good news with me. Um, yeah. And so 
fast forward, we, um, my parents were going through marital problems. So my mom decided that she wanted to move away and she wanted to move to Vancouver with my brother and I. So we moved to Vancouver and started over here. So I went to school here, high school. And, um, and so my mom kind of like, um, because my mom was the one that was very devoted to her faith, to Islam. Um, mm-hmm. But she was, she was just not finding peace uh, mm-hmm. in Islam. She was not finding that it was the truth. Uh, especially after she went to, uh, she took the pilgrimage to Mecca uh, with my dad while they were in, in Denmark. And she had come back even more confused and more unsettled because um, she was told, you know, she was visiting one of the holiest and most sacred sites for Muslims. And mm-hmm. she did not feel that. She came back yeah. and she's like, something's off. This is not right. And so not knowing better, she started going to Sikh temples, to Buddhist temples, and to anything and everything, trying to find that peace. And um, and we were just oblivious, just being teenagers. And mm-hmm. and one day, one of her friends um, asked her, "Hey, do you want to go to church with me?" So she invited her to church, and she was like, "Fine." Like again, like to her, church was like a museum. They're beautiful. You go in, you come out, and she could have she would go out with her friend the next that day on a Sunday. So she goes mm-hmm. to church, and um, while the worship was happening, happening one of the one of the songs, worship songs was about the character of God, about God and who He is, and and that was that did it for her. She felt mm-hmm. that that was the truth about God, who God is, what the what the words, how the words were describing God is who she really believed that, that this is God. This is, this is who I've been seeking. Um, now that I, that we know that God had regenerated her heart, given her the gift of faith to actually draw her to himself. Um, so she goes home and she starts reading the Bible and she keeps going back to that church. And so she became a believer about like a year before my brother and I, and so she would share the Bible um, stories with us. She would share um, verses with us and she would pray for us. And, you know, my brother and I were like, oh, my gosh, now that she's on a like a Jesus journey now. Like first it was like the Buddhism stuff. It was the Sikh. So we thought this is just another phase. Um, mm-hmm. But one night I remember specifically I was doing homework and uh, she she kind of like was like, Hasty, do you know if. Uh, if you put your trust in Christ, he'll forgive you of all your sins. And it's like everything stopped for me because I'd never been, I, I never even knew I needed forgiveness. I've never been told that. But I knew myself, I, I wanted it because of whatever has mm-hmm. happened in my past and everything. And I wanted to be able to forgive. And um, so that was very interesting to me because I was like, are you sure? Like, are you sure? All of it? Mm-hmm. Like, completely right. clean slate? And she's like, yeah. So I was like, oh, interesting. So that really just caught my attention. And mm-hmm. uh, I decided to go to church with her that Sunday. And so I mm-hmm. go to church and, you know, the church that I am talking about is, now that I know, is was a charismatic church, very secret friendly and um, word of faith. 
so right. they had me um so I went out for prayer thinking that it's just like any any mosque or whatever you just go pray you know prayer is prayer I didn't know any difference so when I went up they asked me if I had if I knew Jesus I said no and they said do you want to know Jesus I said sure and so they said repeat this prayer after me and so I did and I didn't know why they were so happy. So apparent, so I had accepted Christ as my savior mm-hmm. without knowing. So, um, so that happened. But again, in God's sovereignty and providence, he did draw me to himself, despite of the wrong ways of them not really sharing the gospel with me, not telling me that I was a sinner, um, deserving hell mm-hmm. under God's wrath, that I needed to repent yeah. and to, to put my trust in Christ. Um, I did go home and I started reading the Bible and I started, um, you know, talking to my uh, mom about it. So I did come to, to know God eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. but But that's how, no, (laughs) but that wasn't it that moment. Yeah. And and I can't help but think you said, you know, like they were rejoicing, they were so happy and you kind of were lost and didn't know what was going on. And Mm -hmm. I can't help but think, you know, you mentioned that they, they didn't, they didn't talk about sin. They didn't talk about the holiness of God, this thrice nope. holy God and, and mm-hmm. you know, the, the severity of man's sin and therefore God's just wrath towards man in his sin and man's mm-hmm. sin being an affront, um, an offense to his holiness. And really it just, you know, it got me thinking that um, you can't, you can't rejoice in the good news without uh, you first don't know understanding what the, bad news yep. the bad news. Exactly. So for you, you're sitting there and they're, you know, they're excited Confused. and, and, you know, right. Cause in their view, it's like, you've just been cured from cancer. Um, but in right. your view, you don't even know what a cure from, from cancer is, but not only that, you don't even know what cancer is, yeah. you know? And so, exactly. yeah. So go, go yeah. ahead. Back to you. Yeah. So that was, um, so that was my, my, um, entrance into Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's a reason for everything and I trust that God knew what he was doing. And now looking back, I wouldn't have been able to do what I'm doing, for example, on Instagram, if I actually wasn't in that for a while, um, Mm. in the false teachings, in the wrong ways of doing things. Um, He allowed me to be there and to, so for me to be able to bring glory to his name at the end, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm not upset about whatever happened in those 15 years. I think I was in that church. Um, 15 is that what you said yeah yeah that's a long yeah. time yeah so i was 19 and i was there when i got married so i met my husband there so i was 25 when i met him and then mm-hmm. stayed there until a few years back where everything just started um stuff started happening while i was at that church stuff that didn't make sense for example like uh then the word gospel would come up and i would be like what is the gospel like, mm. why don't I know this? Why, why, is, right. why, is, why isn't the preacher explaining what the gospel is? What is, uh, why can't I share about Christ easily as other people say they do? How do you share, how do you share about your faith? Like, so these mm. things, and then I would say, um, you know, why is the Bible not being taught at our church? You know, why are we mm. watching movies on a Sunday, you know, Hollywood movies? Right. Right, like right. exegeting. The, it's funny when pastors like, you know what? The Bible is sixty-six books. You know, it's fifteen hundred <laughs> to three thousand pages long, depending on your translation. 
And even though you would think that there's a plethora of scripture to exegete, let's go ahead and exegete the latest Brad Pitt film. I mm-hmm. think that's what the people yeah. need. So yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. No. And like, um, I would, um, this is, this is the crazy part that nobody told me that I was in a, in a prosperity gospel church, that I was in a word of faith church. I didn't even know what those things were. Um, Mm -hmm. but I knew something's off. Like I knew I didn't like Joel Osteen the way he taught. And I was like, why is Joel Osteen endorsing our church? Why are you Mm -hmm. selling his books here? And then when I would ask the pastors, they would bring up the Bible where, some have the gift of this, some have the gift of this. So, you know, we don't judge. And we, so, and then slowly started, like, I just, I was like, why, um, why is my mom who needs financial help putting her tithes on her, on her visa? Mm. And uh, she asked, she one time asked the pastor, um, you know, I don't, I don't have money for tithing. I'm putting it on Mm. my visa. And she knew that you shouldn't be in debt. The Bible clearly says you can't go in debt. And um, hmm. and the past, I was standing there, and the pastor said, uh, "You put it on your visa, God will bless you. You just keep giving." Hmm. And in my head, I'm like, "That doesn't make any sense." You know, slowly yeah. stuff started. Why is why is the pastor marrying a Muslim to a Christian? The right. Bible clearly says you can't be unequally yoked. Why is that okay? So stuff like that started like ding, 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 you know, and um, I didn't have Mm -hmm. anybody to talk to except my mom. Mm -hmm. So we kind of started like, kind of what is going on? And then with my husband, I started talking to him later. And uh, one day, um, speaking about the movie, we were in this um, campus where it was mainly for um, the area was... um, uh, where drug addicts are and a lot of homeless people. So this church was basically there mostly for them to attend it. Um, and, you know, there was, I was, I arrived to church and there was all of those, you know, less fortunate or homeless people were in the church as well. And I hear that we're going to watch this Kevin Costner movie. And I just like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't handle it anymore. I was like, I look around the movie was playing and I'm like, this is what you're giving these people who are here to hear the gospel, the word of God, the Bible. We're watching a movie. It was over for me. I just, I was so angry. And um, Mm -hmm. I went home and I uh, researched um, when is it okay to leave your church? And um, Todd Frill from Rested Radio showed up on YouTube and I just clicked. I didn't even know who he was. And it was like, if they use, hill song music if they use these music emotional music if they're if they're not sharing the gospel if they're watching movies if and if they're using gimmicks and all that everything he said was like a check mark i was like oh my word what where am i what is going on and so um so then another video popped up and it was justin peters about false mm-hmm. teachers so i clicked on it yeah. and lo and behold Every single teacher he was talking about my church endorsed. Beth Moore, right. Lisa DeVere, John DeVere, Kenneth Copeland, um, Joel Osteen. Uh, I mean, I was, it was like, um, it rocked my world. I was like, yeah. I mean, this, uh, I was like a twilight zone. I was like, where, what is happening right now? Am I actually, mm-hmm. 
I felt like I was lied to for 15 years, you know, yeah. nobody had told yeah. me different. So I told my mom and my husband and um, somehow by God's providence, um, we, we just came out of that church and um, found the church that we now attend. And it is mm -hmm. biblical and it is um, sound and it's expository preaching and there's, mm. you know, everything you need in a church. So you <laughs> found a good biblical reformed church, yeah. which you think is mainly Presbyterian. Yeah. Um, and you came out of the prosperity preaching church that you were part of for 15 years. And before that, mm -hmm. it sounds like, you know, you were doing the teenager thing that most teenagers tend to do. And your mom was on really this journey of trying to find Christ. And she didn't even know she was looking for Christ, but trying to find the one true God. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, she did her Mecca, uh, her pilgrimage, um, and yeah. realized there's nothing here. And she tried out Buddhism. I think you said Hinduism. Eventually Everything. found yeah. a Christian church that had at least an anemic presentation of the gospel, perhaps even by accident in the music. And so, but it was enough of a gospel presentation about the character of God, who God is, who man is in light of God and his love for man, his grace um, towards man in his sin through the person of Jesus to where uh, you would say, and your mom would say that, um, that that was the moment that she was regenerate. And then it was just this long process of growing in biblical theology that eventually um, ironically, growing in the scripture led you out of the church that your mom was actually saved in because that church wasn't really being faithful to the scripture. Is that about right? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So now I know that with your personal testimony, this isn't something that you claim to be an expert on. So we talked about this before you came on the show. And so I'm not going to grill you with a whole bunch of questions, mm -hmm. um, especially considering the fact that you were a kid when you, you know, right. when you had this kind of, Muslim upbringing, um, but you certainly have more experience than most um, growing up in, in a family with two parents that were Muslim, at least at one point. Um, so could you talk about that a little bit? What are some of the things I'm sure as you've gotten older that you've probably at least looked into Islam at, at some level, knowing that that was your your origin and and probably having maybe old past family friends that might still be in oh, Islam? All... What, what are some of the things... Yeah. So what are the things that you've come to find and what are, what are some of, if you could say, these are my biggest concerns with um, the false religion of Islam. What, what would you say? Yeah, well, the Quran notoriously denies the crucifixion of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a verse for you. It says um, it's found in Surah 4, verse 157 to 158. It says, and they're saying, we slew the Messiah, Jesus, son of Mary, the messenger of Allah, whereas in fact, they had neither slain him nor crucified him, but the matter was made dubious to them. And those who differed about it too were in a state of doubt. They have no definite knowledge of it, but merely follow conjecture. And they surely slew him not, but Allah raised him to himself. So, um, Islam denies fundamental truth about Christianity and about Christ, mm. about what Christianity reveals about Christ, about his death, mm. his deity, his resurrection. So um, Islam denies all those three things, the death, deity, and resurrection of Christ. Uh, it denies that Christ claimed to be God. It denies mm. that Christ died on the cross. Um, and so if he never died on the cross, 
how does he rise from the dead? So, and that's, um, but we know like in, as a Christian, we know that the word of God tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, 4, for I delivered to you as of first importance, but I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And Romans 10, 9 tells us, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The deity, the death and resurrection of Christ. So, Mm -hmm. um, and we know that as, we know as Christians that the atonement is is tied into the death and resurrection of Christ. Mm -hmm. So Muslims um, are taught these things never happen. Right. Which makes it very hard to, to somewhat, kind of somewhat challenging to share uh, the hope that's found in the work of Christ on the cross uh, with mm-hmm. Muslims. But, um, you know, knowing that it is God who saves, it's God that regenerates us, gives us a heart of flesh. Um, we just need to share the good news with them. We need to share the gospel with them, pray for them. Right. And trust that God is the one that does the saving, even though they might mm-hmm. believe all those things. Um, right. Because yeah, we can't no, always, right. yeah. Go ahead. No, I we was can't just, always I was know just the say, things. Yeah, I was going to say you're right. It's uh, That would be incredibly challenging if you're trying to share the gospel with someone who, it's one thing sharing the gospel with someone who is uh, just strictly secular. Um, right. You know, but but sharing the gospel with someone who has been trained and discipled from a very young age, um, not not just that uh, that the the story of the gospel, um, the the message of Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection has been neglected, but it actually has been taught, and it's been taught precisely that it never occurred, that it never yeah. even happened. Um, it yeah. seems that in human terms um, that there's a, a larger hurdle to overcome. But you're right and. Um, in biblical terms, um, at the end of the day, God softens even the hardest of hearts and salvation ultimately belongs to the Lord. And that's why yeah. we don't, you know, we don't just look at people and say, hey, that seems like a easy win for Christ. I'll go and evangelize with that person. And oh, that person seems too far gone. Um, at the end of the day, I, I can't imagine how many Christians in the early church uh, would have looked at Saul of Tarsus and said, uh, no way, no way that guy's ever exactly. coming to Christ. And uh, yeah. And lo and behold, he becomes, you know, the apostle to the Gentiles. So, so with that being said, you know, the Quran, the Quran is interesting because one of, one of the things that, and I haven't studied extensively by any stretch of the imagination, but one of the things that I've learned is, um, you know, it, to me, it seems quite obvious that, you know, Muhammad is the author. He's the writer, even though I know that the claim is that the Quran literally, you know, fell out of the sky, that it came from God, whereas Christian doctrine and Christian the Christian faith and tradition holds. Uh, we've never said that, you know, that the Bible is uh, God's word that literally just fell out of the sky. We've always held to human authorship, but with inspiration of yeah. the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit inspiring, not forcing uh, man to write down words, uh, but inspiring human authors in such a way that that we have uh, the infallible words of God, um, but but this inspiration of the Spirit being subtle enough, um, strong enough to where we, we can trust that the word is God's infallible word, but subtle enough to where 
uh, the style, for instance, or the personality, um, some of the characteristics of the human author actually remain to where you can be reading John and you can be reading Paul and and you can get a sense, oh yeah, this is John, this is the way that John writes, or this is Paul, this is the way that Paul writes. But with Islam, you know, it's this idea that it's, you know, just fell out of the sky, you know, written by the finger of God, and here it is, dropped in Muhammad's lap. And it's always kind of humorous to me because it seems to be pretty obvious, even with just a basic working understanding of Islam, that uh, the Quran was uh, was written by Muhammad because it actually it actually mirrors Christian teachings. But but you can yeah. tell that even that it was written during Muhammad's life, if you look at yeah. human history and when he was born and when he died, because. Uh, some of the Christian teachings that were circulating during the life of Muhammad when he lived and when he uh, very clearly was writing portions of the Quran, um, during that time, some of the Christian teachings that were circulating um, were were false teachings and especially uh, Gnostic teachings. And so some of the things mm-hmm. that uh, that you find in the Quran, you know, talking about Jesus uh, as not the son of God, but as the prophet, some of the things, you know, talk about Jesus in his infancy or even as um, a, a toddler. And so one, one of the instances is when Mary and Joseph are um, are, are going, I, I believe it's uh, when they're heading to Bethlehem that uh, that Mary is weary from the journey and that she's thirsty and that Jesus uh, speaks from the womb to a tree and the tree bends over so that uh, Mary can grab fruit. Or uh, there's another instance where uh, Mary is being heckled and mocked by people for um, in their eyes, having a child out of wedlock, and Jesus is still just an infant, recently born. He's nursing uh, at his mother's breast, and he and he turns, you know, and stops nursing for a moment, and turns, and as an infant, uh, talks and rebukes um, the crowd that's mocking his mother. And those are actually those are teachings that were floating around in the Christian tradition, but not actually inspired text from the apostles commissioned by Christ to write scripture, but by Gnostic uh, writers mm-hmm. and um, heretical writers. And so you can see, and they were floating around and became popularized in the specific area where Muhammad was living. And so it's, it's very clear that like he was trying to, it's almost like he was trying to get some kind of credibility for yeah. the Quran uh, by, by piggybacking on Christianity, but he piggybacked accidentally on heretical Gnostic teachings of Christianity without even realizing it, because that happened to be what was, prevalent in his lifetime. And so the Quran is fairly easily, just from an objective standpoint, easy to date. It's easy to be able to say, yeah, this isn't the eternal word of Allah that existed before time began and fell out of the sky. So anyway, do you have any any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, it's very, um, Islam is also very superstitious, you know, they're very Mm. superstitious. Um, Yeah, explain that. That's interesting. um, Oh yeah. There's a lot of, um, just weird things mixed into Islam that just um, they believe anything like, you know how Catholics um, see things on the wall and they're like, Oh, that's Mary or they have right, the same right. kind of thing. It's all the same okay. things. Like we used to go to me- visit, um, you know, you go to Mashhad in Iran where certain prophets have died and they're buried there and they would take mm-hmm. um, locks and put it at the grave. And if it opened, mm. your prayers would be answered. Stuff like that, where it's just mm. like, it's so mm. sad because people really, yeah. really believe in it. But Islam right. is one thing about Islam that is um, false. Why it's why it's a false religion is also because, like other false religions, it's very works based religion. Right. 
So right. a Muslim's entrance into paradise hinges on the five pillars of Islam. So right. I was hoping you would explain those. Yeah. What are the five? Because I know the pilgrimage to Mecca, which I'm assuming that's why your parents did it. That's that's yeah. one of the five. Is that right? Yeah. So it's testimony yeah. of faith. Uh, it is uh, prayer. It is giving. It is fasting. And it is pilgrimage to Mecca. So, mm-hmm. okay. e- but even if you do all that perfectly, um, you can still be rejected by Allah. Um, really? Wow. So there is no assurance of salvation in, in Islam. Mm. And wow. um, so paradise can be earned through keeping the five pillars in Islam, um, but there's no assurance of salvation. Hmm. Um, yet our Bible and tells is that, us that. Is that because, is that because you may not have, have, have achieved or been successful with the five yeah. pillars in, enough? Or is it, or does that point towards, and I'm, it's a genuine question, I don't know. Does that point towards the fact that, you know, no matter how disciplined you are, right? So totally, it's, a, it's, it's certainly a works-based salvation. Uh, but, but the lack of assurance was really interesting that you mentioned that. And so my question is, is it because you, you never know if the works were good enough? Or um, is there an element with the character of Allah where like, even if somebody That's was what it is, yeah. the most devoted uh, Muslim you, you, there possibly was, and they actually did the works more than any other Muslim, someone who actually did less works than them might get in, and this person who did more might still not get in because Allah is fickle. Like you can't, yeah. you can't, is it, is it, so is it because the works aren't enough? You just don't know God. You, you just don't, don't know, know what Allah, Allah th- knows. You know, you, you will never right. understand him. So you will okay. never know. So you live gotcha. in this limbo, you know, mm-hmm. but the yeah. Bible tells us that, you know, no amount of good deeds, all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags, you right. know, complete opposite that you can't buy your salvation. You can't bribe God with your good works. And it is um, that sinful man can never do any of that. And it's only right. by God's grace uh, mm-hmm. through repentant faith in Christ alone Amen. that you well, can be saved. That- Amen. That That's really interesting because it makes me think of two things. It makes me think of what you just so beautifully said, the gospel that we're, you know, that, so the, the, the contrast between Christianity and Islam is first, Christianity is, it's the gospel of grace. I'm always fond of telling my congregation, both when I was in California and now here in Texas, that uh, the gospel is not a message of the love of God. It's a message of the grace of God, because you can have love for a perfect being. God loves his angels. Right. Yeah. But, the, but angels, other than a third of the angels who rebelled against God and have never once been offered a single chance of redemption. But the two thirds of angels who have been faithful to God and even cherubim and seraphim and the four living creatures that surround the throne of God, you know, covered in eyes with six wings, you know, and, and the 24 elders on 24 thrones, all of these angelic beings that have never betrayed God, never sinned against him. God loves them. But the gospel is not a message of love because you can have love for a perfect being, for a a being that is perfectly moral. We love God, right? But we don't forgive God. We don't have grace for God. We don't have mercy for God because God doesn't need our grace. He doesn't need mercy because, because he's never done anything but be deserving fully and perfectly deserving of our adoration, our worship, our devotion, our love. And so the gospel is not just a message of love. It's a message of grace, which is a particular kind of love. It's a love for those who don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. So you said that the gospel is grace. And that's one big distinction. One, one, one contrast between Christianity and Islam, but it seems like the other one that that you've kind of been saying and that that I, I wanted to pick up on for a moment is also that, that our God is immutable. So it's not mm-hmm. just that our God is, is a God of grace and mercy, but he's also immutable, meaning that he never he changes. changes. And so yeah. I, I think of, I think it's, 
Micah or maybe it's Malachi, but the, the verse that says, uh, behold, I am the Lord. I changeth not so that you, mm-hmm. the sons of Jacob are not consumed. Meaning that there's something about not just the mercy of God and the grace of God, but there's something about the, the immutability of God, his, his unchangingness for lack of a, a real word. Cause I don't think that's a real word, but his, the immutability of God, the fact that he never changes is the Christian's good. It is a Christian's good that our God doesn't fly off the handle, that our God is yeah. not fickle, that he's not easily swayed. You know, we have verses mm-hmm. in the scripture that talk about, you know, the Lord was grieved that he made man or, um, you know, or the, or the Lord uh, repented or, or reg- some translations say, I believe the King James or other translations say regretted. But even in those instances, we have to understand that underneath the, the banner of the doctrine of analogy, it's anthropopathic language, which is a big word, yeah. but it's God doesn't really have emotions in the same way that anthropomorphic language means that God, God doesn't actually have physical attributes. He's a, he's a spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So God doesn't, you know, his right arm is mighty to save. But God doesn't have a literal right arm, you know, or his yeah. eyes going to and fro over there. In the same way, God also, it's not like he was on a dime, you know, happy uh, because the Israelites did something good. And then he was really sad because they disappointed him. God is not in process. He's not, he's not a, a, a man, right? The Bible says mm-hmm. he is not a man that he should repent or he is not a yeah. man that he should change his mind. And, and that's something that Christians really need to see uh, uh, tied into the gospel, uh, the immutability of God, the, the fact that he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And the idea that he is the omniscient God, he's the immutable God, but but uh, uh, that's tied into his omniscience. The fact that the, one of the reasons he never changes, not only because his, his immutable essence, but because of his omniscience, meaning me and you, we change because we come into new information. We learn new yeah. things. But God is not in process. He's omniscient. He knows the end from the beginning. And that's such good news to us. Because what that means is that, you know, I might be really bummed out tomorrow if I... If I sin in some way that, that, that you know, that I, I'm not aware of today, it's a surprise to me, but God is never surprised. God made the choice before the foundations of the earth were laid to, in love, to elect, elect me, yeah. to foreknow me and, and elect me and choose me uh, and yeah. give his son Jesus to die for me, knowing good and well, fully yeah. all the heinous things that I haven't even done yet, but that I will do. And so there, yeah. there's something powerful about not just that, you know, Christianity is, is uh, the, the doctrine, the gospel of grace, not just love, but grace and mercy. But it also is a grace and mercy that, that proceeds from the immutable, unchanging God. And it sounds like what you're saying is really two things, that, that Allah in, in Islam, not only is it a, a doctrine of works, a works-based salvation, but even if you work hard enough, not only because you're unsure of how good your works were, but you're also unsure of the character of the, the God that you're working for. Yeah. Allah he's not constant. Is, yeah. He's not constant. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, I, I, I said yeah. a lot there, and I'm sure you maybe had a few thoughts. So go, no, go ahead if good. there's something you want to... Um, no, but like um, everything you said is exactly right about Islam. So it's, um, mm. I think that's why also people don't have, um, you know, because we know fully that we're forgiven. Mm. We have this, we can find the strength to say, I'm forgiven of everything. And you trust that God is faithful to forgive you. You have mm-hmm. the strength to forgive others. But Islam doesn't have that. So there's no, they can't, they can't put their strength in anything to say, well, Allah forgave me because they don't know if he has, they don't know if, you know what I mean? 
So there's this, mm-hmm. um, there's no um, security in believing mm-hmm. in Allah, you know. And mm-hmm. also the, yeah. the teachings of Islam, they not alone do they, they deny the truth about everything about Christ. And unfortunately, Muslims don't comprehend how Allah would allow his prophet Isa, Jesus, to, be, mm. to die a horrible death on a cross. So to mm. them, they see it as weakness. You know, they, to them, they would be like, why would, you know, why would he allow him to die if he's God or if he's, you know, right. even his prophet? Um, but the Bible, again, shows us how the death of the perfect, sinless son of God is the only way to atone for our sins. So right. everything we believe, they they turn it upside down and they don't believe that. So yeah, that's really that, profound. Yeah, and it's and it's funny that actually Islam, even though it's this religion of works, and you think of just all these rules and regulations and and heavy burdens laid up upon the you know the adherents of, of Islam and all these kind of things, and yet the irony is that. Um, it's not a, a heavier view of the holiness of Allah no. and Mm-mm. the sinfulness of man. It's actually a much that Islam, in my assessment, has a much lighter, not heavier, but a much lighter view of sin because it's it's a oh, sin yeah. that man in himself can still, in his own effort, in his own will, his own strength, atone for. Whereas mm-hmm. in in the Christian faith, we're saying. No, no, no. It's mm-hmm. like, well, I, God, I want to make this up to you. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Why don't you sit a couple plays out? That's cute. Um, I don't think you understand, son, daughter, yeah. how sinful you actually are. You yeah. can't make this up to me. Uh, it, no. like, <laughs> for your sin to be atoned for, uh, it took my son bleeding out at Calvary and drinking the full cup of the white hot wrath of God. And so yeah. it's not, it's, Christianity is not a, a lighter um, idea of holiness and and sin and um, it's actually a much heavier view of yeah. all those things, uh, infinitely so because uh, because the only thing that's enough is death. The wages yeah. of sin is death. There is there is no substitute uh, for death. Someone has to die, either you yeah. or the Savior in your place. Yeah. Uh, back to you. I'm sorry. No, don't be. Um... One thing I feel like Islam is heavy on is the fear of God, but not in the way we fear God, where it's the reverence. Mm-hmm. You love him and right. you want to honor him. That's why you fear him in a, you know, it's Islam. is like, I'm afraid. Like you freeze. Mm-hmm. You want to, you know what I mean? When you just can't move, right. that's the kind of fear mm-hmm. that they feed you. So okay, it's, uh, again, it's an upside down kind of thing, you know? Right. Completely well, that's another of really what? good. That's another really good insight. I, I can't remember the text. I'm going to, this is a bold move in an episode <laughs> to actually try to find a text. I know it's Hebrews. I want to say it's Hebrews too. Somebody who's going to listen to this is going to be like, they're going to know what it is and I don't know what it is. And they're going to be shouting at their computer, trying to tell me the reference. But anyways, <laughs> uh, it's when Jesus, um, it's when, up. Oh, Nailed it. Oh, my goodness. It's Hebrews 2. I knew it. Hebrews 2, verse 14. Thanks. Verse 14 and 15. says this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, being Christ himself, likewise partook of the same things, so the incarnation took on flesh, the divine took on flesh, that through death, that is his death on the cross, he, being Christ, might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. 
and deliver, verse 15 is key, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Uh, Fear, this is my point, fear and slavery go hand in hand. You can't be a slave um, apart from fear. That's, That's the weapon. That's the, that, those are the chains, the chains that, that ultimately enslave, um, are the chains of fear. And so any false religion and not just, you know, false religion of Islam, but the false religion of secularism, right? Yeah. You know, we were talking about that before we started recording the false yeah. religion of secularism, same thing. How, how, how do you, if you're, if you're an elite, if you're the civil magistrate, you're some kind of ruling elite, somebody in power, and, and you want to accrue more authority, more power, uh, how do you get it? Well, you can't get more power unless, unless people are willing to give it to you, forfeit it. So you have to enslave them. So what do you use? What's your tactic? What's your strategy? Fear. Yeah. Hey, coronavirus, everybody's going to die. You know, and so, you know, and, and, you know, the, you know, that it's the old adage, I think Hillary Clinton even said it, you know, that never let a good crisis go to waste, which is like, it's like, what, how do you, like, (laughs) I mean, you can't even hear that without cringing. It's like, why would you say that? And aren't, aren't you ashamed that that just came out of you? But that's, that's the, that's the mindset. So whether it's the false religion of Islam or the false religion of Joe Biden, you know, it, it, either way, secularism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, um, there's, there's always this sense of, of the people are enslaved. And what I love about that text, Hebrews chapter two, verse 14 and 15 is the, the scripture, the Christian scripture says that, that all people were enslaved, particularly specifically, um, to, to the fear of death and that mm-hmm. Jesus took on flesh and by his death. So Jesus, by his death, ransomed us, delivered us from slavery, lifelong, it says lifelong slavery to the fear of death. And it seems like that's what you're saying, that, that, that precious people made in the image of God in, who are steeped in Islam, there's just this constant fear and, and you bifurcate and say, you know, the fear that they have is very different than the way that we're commanded as Christians to fear the Lord. And I think one of the big differences is it's, it's, it's the fear of God himself, which is what the Christians commanded to have, that reverence and awe of God, versus the fear of what God might do to me, the fear exactly. of God's judgment, the so fear no love, of... Yeah. Exactly. And so that's what it is. It's the fear of death. And it's really, to me, it seems like it's the fear of death at the hand of Allah. It's the fear yeah. of, of the judgment of God rather than the fear of God himself. So it's not even that Allah is so holy and so... So awe-inspiring that, that I tremble with, R.C. Sproul used to say, you know, it's a sense of trembling in fear, but also exhilaration, excitement, right? Yeah. Adrenaline. It's like to stand in the presence of God will be this, it'll be like, on one hand, it's almost like a sense is where we'll, 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 like we can't take it. It's like, I, you know, I, I don't know if I want to be here any longer. And yeah. yet at the very same time, it's like, how can I be anywhere else? I, I want yeah. to see, I want to know him and be known by him. And so it's this awe inspired, like, like lightning and thunder that you're just like, yeah. wow. Like it, like it crashes. You're so, afraid, but you're in awe. Yeah. But you're in awe. Like if you know that the lightning's not going to strike you, right. Yeah. You somehow <laughs> have this guarantee that you're not going to be the object of, of, of the lightning that it actually strikes. Then, then there's, there's this trembling of fear, but also this exhilaration, this excitement. Um, and that's the fear, the Christian fear that, that children of God have for our, 
our Heavenly Father. We fear God. There's a difference yeah. in fearing God himself versus fearing uh, what 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 God might do to us, fearing God's yeah. judgment, fearing death at the hand yeah. of God. And it sounds like that's what you're saying, that, that the Muslim yeah. has this, not a fear of Allah so much that Allah is such this incredible, awe-inspiring, beautiful, um, robust being, but rather it's it's all the things that Allah could do to you yeah. if you don't shape up. So it's up. like a child, your child obeying you out of fear of being punished. Right. Or obeying you because he actually loves you and respects right. you. There's a complete difference, you know. Yeah. One is a, um, a sick relationship. Like, it's not healthy. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, that's not yeah. what you want, even for your children. Um, mm. So, yeah. Yep. No, you're right. So, okay, so some of the distinctions, just to kind of recap for a moment, because you, you've, you've listed some good things. So you're saying one, one is this idea of fear, Um Fear of God versus a fear of Allah and, and really his judgment, his punishment. Another is works-based salvation versus grace-based. Uh, and with that, you know, we mm-hmm. talked about the idea that um, that Allah isn't constant. Um, there's yeah. no guarantees. And yeah. uh, whereas the immutability of the Christian God, the triune God, he never changes. And the fact that he never changes is our good. Be, behold, I am the Lord that changeth not so that you, the sons of Jacob, are not consumed uh, as as kind of implying implicitly there is this idea that, that God might flare up in his wrath and consume us because of yeah. a whim, or, but that our God doesn't do that. His, his constantness, his, his steadiness um, is, is our good. And so those are some of the difference. So grace-based versus works-based, um, mm-hmm. not constant versus immutable, uh, fear of judgment, fear of death versus uh, an actual fear of God himself and reverence. Yeah. Were, were there any other distinctions that, that you mentioned that I'm forgetting or another one that you that you wanted to mention? Um, those are some great ones. Yeah, there, I'm sure there's more, but those are what I could think of for now. That's great. Those are great to highlight. Uh, real quick, uh, just for our listeners, so I, I can't even do it, so I'm going to have to rely on you. Uh, could you also recap what what were the five pillars again in yeah. in the works that that um, a Muslim has to perform? So it's a testimony of faith, prayer, and what what is that real quick? De, de, is that so just, just kind of like a profession? You know how they say "La ilaha illallah," like so Allah mm. is the only God, something like that. So you profess that okay. Allah is 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 okay. God. Um, I can't is that a one time thing? That. Is um, that a one time thing, so. or is that? I believe so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I believe so. I don't. I don't know, to be honest, exactly how you do that. But, um, you know, given that in one of the verses, it says, you know, um, lay in ambush and, you know, attack the unbeliever, whatever. But if they profess the faith, leave them alone. They're good. So it's like a quick thing you say and you're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like almost like put, put a gun to your head and say it, say that all those guns. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, the testimony of faith praying, fasting, giving, and pilgrimage to Mecca. And with, with praying and fasting, if my memory serves me, it's, it's very specific. So it's not just like, and you have to pray, you know, like sometimes Christians, we can be guilty. Exactly. Because Christians were like, Hey, I'm praying for you. And it's like, Oh, are you? Oh yeah. Not at all like that. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, no, you really have to pray. And it's very specific. It's five times a day. And, and is it at certain times? Is that right? Yeah. So it's like before the sunrise, before the sunset in the middle of the day, and you have to Mm -hmm. um, do the whole ritual where you um, wash your face, 
wash. It's like, so you go and you like wash, pour water over your hands, over your face, Mm -hmm. across your head and put water on your feet. Mm -hmm. And women have to cover up with a hijab and chador and everything. And you have to face Mecca. Face Mecca, that's right. Yeah. What is, uh, if you're familiar, what is, um, so that's prayer. What does fasting look like? Are there any specifics for how often you have to fast? Fasting is during Ramadan. Okay. Explain that. What what is Ramadan? Oh my goodness. I should know this. But basically it's like a month, holy month, where you, um, you fast before the sun sunrise so you eat before okay. sunrise and you don't eat or drink um until sun until the sun sets. goes down yeah okay so that's makes your way of, of, yeah you said like it's a whole month it makes me think of lent sometimes right. I, you know even even with protestants you know they there's some hangovers from uh from rome is what i call it the, <laughs> the rome hangover so they'll still practice lent you know or observe it right. and say well it's still just you know it's a good principle or a good practice. And sometimes, you know, somebody will ask me, Hey, are you giving anything up for Lent? You know? And I always say, yeah, I'm giving up Catholicism. I'm giving up Rome. I'm giving up the Pope and I'm <laughs> devoting myself. I'm devoting myself to scripture. I'm devoting myself to bacon. I'm devoting myself, just, you know, so, anyways, but I'm, I'm not a Lent, uh, a Lent follower. So, right. but that's what it made me think of uh, a month mm-hmm. of, okay. So that's fasting. So prayer, it's five times a day facing Mecca. You got the washing cleansing ceremony. Um, uh, certain times of the day, fasting, it's the, the month, um, say it again, Ramadan. How do you say it? Ramadan? Yeah. Ramadan. Ramadan. And, and that's a fasting basically whenever the sun is up. So you can eat right before sunrise and you have to wait till sunset. And so that's, that's prayer. That's fasting. You said testimony. And then there's the journey to Mecca. You have to, that's just, you, you need if to you do that at least it. once. If mm-hmm. you can afford it at least once yeah. in your life. And what was the, the fourth one before uh, Mecca? Giving. Okay. Are there any specifications on that? Honestly, I think it's just giving to the poor. It's a big thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. So with that, uh, kind of last question with Islam and then we'll, we'll start to wrap up because I I know that we're Mm kind of starting to get a little bit short on time, but with Islam, so we've kind of got a basic sense. It's a workspace religion. Um, Allah is not constant. He's not immutable. It's not grace-based. It's not mercy. There's a denial. That's what you said earlier. There's a denial of the gospel and that Jesus even died, right? Cause they see that as weakness. Yeah. I couldn't help but think when you said that, uh, I, I thought of what Paul says about, um, about the Greek and the Jew, you know, that it's, it's foolishness. The gospel is foolishness right. to the Greek and yeah. it's an offense to the Jew. And, uh, yeah. and it's, we could say it's, it's, you know, it's an offense to the Jew. It's foolishness to, um, to the Greek and it's weakness, um, to the Muslim. Um, mm-hmm. and so, so that was a really a helpful point that you made. And there's the sense of, you know, fearing um, Allah and his judgment, what he's going to do to you. And it's never enough uh, rather than actual fear of God himself, because he, he, who God is is so majestic and so awe inspiring. So with all that, the last kind of question that I have is just um, is Islam. A lot of people ask this, but I just would like to hear your take on it. Is Islam is it fair to say Islam is a violent religion? Does the Quran command Muslims to be violent towards non-Muslims? And a further question, if that, if the answer is yes, assuming that your answer is yes, how would you respond to someone who would object? Um, and I could think of a ton of people who wouldn't even, they're not even Muslims themselves, but they would say, ah, oh, no, you know, because that's, it's a strong statement. It's, it's, you know, and they would say, no, that's not fair. You know, Islam isn't, it doesn't, 
it doesn't perpetuate, doesn't advocate for violence. And, and their basis would be, they say, there are millions of Muslims who are peaceful. So how, how would you, well, first, what is your well, answer? It doesn't promote violence. And then how would you respond to someone who says, but there's so many peaceful Muslims? Well, I certainly wouldn't call Islam a religion of peace, um, like many mm. people try to do. Um, right. Now, yeah. this doesn't mean that Islam, um, Islamic belief makes Muslims violent. Like, that's not mm. true. There's a difference. Um, however, the violent acts that have been committed in the name of Islam can't be mm. divorced from the religion itself. Right. It's one and the same. Um, and, and why is that? Because somebody could, you know, just to play the devil's advocate, I could say, well, the violent acts of the Crusades can't be right. divorced from the Christian faith. But but I think you and I would both say, no, that's a bug, not a feature, yeah. right? In the same way yeah. that I would look to there, the founding yeah. of, of the United States, and, you know, in the Constitution, I would say slavery was a bug, but not the feature. And that the Constitution actually, um, in the Declaration of Independence, um, actually is, is what laid the framework for eventually abolishing uh, slavery, but but with Islam, you're saying no, it can't be divorced. So you, it sounds no. like what you're saying is no. The actual doctrines lend towards yeah. this. Could you yeah. talk about that? So they they go to the Quran to justify the violence acts. So mm. the call to violence and the justification for it are explicitly taught in the Quran. So um, violence is in Islam is like a theologically sanctioned so mm. they justify it by using the quran um mm. so these violent doctrines that are taught in the quran they can be activated by a number of offenses um like mm -hmm. um apostasy blasphemy adultery homosexuality um, um theft so, for example, in Iran or Saudi Arabia, I'm sure other places like Afghanistan, um, they will cut off the hands or fingers of, of thieves. Mm. And they, they don't just make that up. They use the Quran. Um, Surah 538, it says, As for the thief, the male and the female, amputate their hands in recompense for what they earned, committed, as a deterrent punishment from Allah and Allah is exalted in might and wise. So that they're using the Quran and that is, that is a violent doctrine in the Quran. Yeah. You can't deny that. Um, I feel bad for the person who was stolen from uh, what I love about Christian doctrine in the old Testament is uh, that if someone steals uh, what, what God's law um, demands is that they make double restitution Right. Cut off my hand. It's like, okay, so I can't I've even work severely, to do anything. Exactly. Right. I've been severely punished for stealing, but the person I stole from is no better off. Whereas in Christian yeah. doctrine, is uh, that the issue is no, you need to make right the wrong. The person that you stole from, they need to yeah. receive the restoration of their property with interest. Uh, yeah. Uh, go ahead. And any so, other, any other yeah, verses? Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I have a few, um, but the Quran teaches. so. Quran teaches these violent doctrines and they're clearly proven to be harmful and deadly when um, these doctrines are interpreted by groups like ISIS or Al-Qaeda or, you mm -hmm. know, regimes like Iran, because it all depends who's interpreting it, you know? So right, right. the nominal Muslims would say, no, 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 
the peaceful versus abrogate those ones, but that's not mm-hmm. how, how those groups see it. Right. So for example, um, in Iran, the official religion is Shia Islam. Um, there are minority religion, the religious groups like Jews, Zoroastrians and Christians. And by Christians, I don't mean me that has converted to, uh, from Islam to Christianity. I mean like Armenians who are born into Christianity. So they're, they're, they're recognized as the, a minority group, but the, mm-hmm. the government, by the way they act and treat them, they are, they are not safe. They're not, they're not living in freedom in Iran. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. or, and even, even Muslims who are um, challenging the government in any way or who are against any laws, um, even a Muslim who identifies as a homosexual, they're all going to be um, either imprisoned, flogged, persecuted. I mean, there is no peaceful, you know, way to address those people in Islam, mm-hmm. especially in, in, in Iran and Saudi Arabia, etc. Mm-hmm. So that's speaking, yeah, so that's speaking of the way that Islam deals <clears throat> with people who actually are Muslim themselves in many cases, but are not upholding Islamic yeah. doctrine. But, but what, what are some of the specifics that, um, that Islam or the Quran would say um, in how to treat people who are not mm-hmm. Muslim? How, right. you know, how, do you, how do you deal with the infidel? You know, how do you deal the with... The infidel, um, yeah, me, with me. Yeah, and the, <laughs> yeah so, the unbeliever. So the Quran contains verses like we talked about that um, Muslims believe Allah revealed to Muhammad, to their prophet Muhammad. So, and these, these um, laws and these commandments and were um, revealed to him during different circumstances and different times. So when he was during, during war or during peaceful times. So how these, um, and some of these verses, they, they exhort to go um, commit violence against infidels, against the enemies. And anyone who's not Muslim is their enemy, really. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I forgot to tell you, but like when I was in grade two, we would have to line up if we're going inside to our classrooms and we would have to chant death upon America, death upon Israel. I mean, that's just really? something you do. Yeah. So Wow. You're, you know, you're trained to think of Americans and Israel uh, as. Um, America does enemies. that now too, actually, and I think uh, kindergarten through second grade, America, ironically, also is, trains their kids to say "death upon America." <laughs> That's a joke, but uh, not not too far. But from not a joke. really. <laughs> yeah. Amer- American in the school system, they're getting pretty pretty diligent about training kids to hate our own country. So, yeah. But, That's true. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, it's very sad. Yeah. Um, Anyways. So about the verses you wanted to know. Um, yeah, yeah. So I have a few here. So Surah 3, 151 says, We shall cast terror into the hearts of those who disbelieve all non-Muslims. Surah 2, 191. And kill them wherever you find them. Kill them. Such is the recompense of the, dis- of the disbelievers. Surah 9, 5. Mm. Then kill the disbelievers wherever you find them. Capture them and besiege them. And lie in wait for them in each and every ambush. 
So mm. if Muslims like Osama bin Laden um, right. believe that they're being oppressed, that they're being unjustly treated, that um, they're going to go to these um, verses and declare right. jihad against the enemies. They're right. going to use those verses. And they're not going right. to say, oh, yeah, the peaceful ones abrogated these ones or vice versa. No, they're going to use these verses to justify their violent end. So, yeah. um, again, so, to play the devil's advocate for just a mm-hmm. moment, you know, somebody might say, well, there are verses in the Old Testament where, you know, I mean, God quite literally called his people Israel to commit genocide, to wipe out entire nations, uh, men, mm-hmm. women, and uh, children. And I think what I would say, and I, I want to see if you have a thought on this or if you would agree, but what I would say is um, one, one of the things that's different, God did do that. And he was just and righteous and holy in doing so because is that God has the right to punish the wicked. And sometimes he does it with fire and brimstone. And like in the case of Sodom, um, and sometimes he waits and does it uh, on the final day of judgment, the life to come in hell. And sometimes he does it in this life, not through literal fire and brimstone, uh, but sometimes he does it through human agency. God, who is sovereign over all, um, sometimes the, the, the rod that he wields in order to exact justice is um, war. And in the case of Israel, Israel was being used. So it's not just, it wasn't just because God loved Israel. He wanted them to inherit the land, right? We always think, well, it's because God loved Israel. But man, you know, those other, what about those other nations? God loved Israel so much. He just gave them rights to kill everybody else. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a double-sided coin. On the one hand, God loved Israel and, and chose them. On the other hand, um, these other nations were pagan nations doing atrocious, wicked things. And, and God had been very slow and very patient in storing up his wrath against, against pagans, the wicked, who were sacrificing their children, babies, to Molech and false gods and things like this, you know, like, again, like we do in abortion. Um, and God was very patient and slow to anger. And then he used Israel um, as his agent of justice towards him. But all that being said, uh, what I would say is this, you know, cause you could say, well, I, you know, somebody could probably make an argument similar to that, at least, uh, in the case of, um, the verses that you just read from the Quran. But, but what I would say is also in the old Testament, it's very clear that God's speaking to Israel. So when, when God says these things, it's not a universal principle for all of God's people in all places throughout all of human history. It's what God is saying to a particular um, people, namely Israel, at a particular time in a particular instance. And so I, I, I appreciate when theologians, they say all scripture is for us, but not all scripture is to us. And it's important that we understand the difference. All scripture is God breathed and it's all useful for training, rebuking, um, all these things to make the man of God perfect. It's sufficient. It's good. And so there, there's no, there's not one single verse in the Bible that is not for the, for every single believer, for you, for me, and, and for anybody else who hopes and trusts in Christ. Um, but not all of scripture is to us. Paul, when he's yeah. writing first and second Timothy, he's it's to Timothy. Now we glean a lot by being kind of this third party onlooker reading it. It's for us. Um, but it was to Timothy. And and in the Old Testament, when God says things like wipe out this entire nation, women and children and um, and, and the, even the cattle and livestock, um, that is for us. I mean, there's something that we can learn from that, but that's not to us. He's not saying, mm-hmm. Hasty, 
Joel, yeah. go and do. He's he's saying Israel at this time in this place with these yeah. particular people, this particular nation. And whereas the verses that you just read, and granted, you just read a couple of verses and we didn't read an entire excerpt, you know, back out and get, get the context. But I'd be willing to bet, I could be wrong, but I'd be willing to bet um, that, that the context isn't saying these particular Muslims with these particular infidels at this particular time lie in wait and ambush and kill mm-hmm. them. It seems like it's a universal principle for all those who claim to be worshipers of Allah towards all unbelievers in any place in any time is that would is that correct well, that's how they interpret it like that's mm-hmm. how the the that's why if i go back to iran i will be in prison and unless mm-hmm. i uh, say you know i i repent and i'll turn back to islam they will execute me there's no right so they will they again the death penalty is for apostasy is death penalty that's mm. And they're going to use the Quran to justify that. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, but it's, I guess my point is it's more than just, that's how you said, that's how it's interpreted. Um, But in my assessment and, and from the little bit of study that I've done with the Quran and with Islam, it it seems that it's, it's not just that that's the way it's interpreted. It seems that's the way that the Quran is actually written. And it's not just interpretation, but it's it's what it says. The people who will object to that will say, that's how it's interpreted, and that's right. not. Um, do you know what I mean? So that's yes, their I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, and so and and I think that's and therein lies the difference, <laughs> because I think what you and I would both say is that those who say, well, that's their interpretation, <laughs> you and I would both categorize them as actually the liberal Muslim, the person who's yeah. actually. So we would say that although we disagree with the actions, we disagree with the content of the Quran, and we disagree with those who are actually fulfilling it and, and acting it out. Um, but we would say that they actually have the more faithful right. yeah. Yeah. interpretation. Pretty much and because so, they would actually, um, they would kill those people too. The ones that are saying this right. is not Islam. So, right. so the Muslims right. that are That's, saying, no, no, you know what I mean? Yes. And, but it's, yeah. So that's, that's what they would do. That's how they read it. But even more than that, it's, it's very clearly that's, it's what it says. It's what yeah. it said. Whereas, whereas with, you know, with the old Testament in Israel and, and their conquests and things like that, when God called them to in, inflict violence and war, it's very easy for me to make the explanation that I just made all scripture being for us, but not all of it is yeah. to us. And this was particular to Israel and Israel is right there in the verse, right? Israel yeah. do this to this yeah. nation at this. It's all, it's not just my interpretation. It's in the text. It's, yeah. it's, it's not just the way I'm, I'm, I'm reading it. It's the way it was written. Uh, like a Christian in the case wouldn't the, be able to use that now and uh, kill someone. Exactly. 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 And yeah. if they did, it would be faithful We would faithful say you Christians. are not a Christian. <laughs> yeah. We would say you're not a Christian and, and you have so clearly interpreted this wrongly. Whereas in the yeah. case of Islam, although it is true that the, ma- the mass majority of Muslims, as far as I can tell, are, are very peaceful people, um, they, they would, my point is this back. I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. Violence when, when there is that outlier, right? That person who claims to be a Christian and, and yet they are responsible for a school shooting or, or the man, for instance, who, you know, who went to a Christian church and claimed to be Christian and said that he was struggling, uh, with lust and, and he went and shot up, um, a bunch of 
massage parlors and killed right. a, a number of of women. Um, we we would look at that and we we would be able to you know and we would say that guy was off his rocker and probably needed some serious medical help and um, that is uh, that that is not a Christian action and that's also not Christian doctrine. And again, to be fair. The Muslim would say, you know, with 9-11, right? They would say that's not Muslim doctrine and that's not a Muslim action. But when you look at the but it Muslim is a doctrine. text, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And you look at the Christian text, I have a text where I can say, nowhere in this text will you find us. And, yeah. but, but then with, with the Quran, I can say, yeah, I see how that guy got there. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, like you're saying that this guy's off his rocker and that he's crazy and that's just this horrible interpretation, but that seems like a much plainer reading yeah. of the Quran. The, because the they're basically text. imitating their leader, right? They're imitating Muhammad. Right. That's their claim. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So. Anything else you want to add on the, on the issue that, that we've been discussing of violence and Islam? I think that was really um, good. Is there anything else? I would just, I would reiterate that most Muslims that I know and, um, that I've known have been gracious, peace-loving people. And that's because mm. they don't practice Islam, really. That's right. the main right. reason. They're very nominal, right. just like I was a nominal Muslim. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I used to go to a mosque I used, with my parents. I used to pray. I used to fast. Right. And I wholeheartedly rejected a lot of Islam's laws. And, um, you know, um, so... I understand when they, when people are like, but look at all these peaceful people. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. So mm-hmm. we, the same way that I, I wouldn't want to be stereotyped as a Christian, like, um, I don't know, like um, there are many types of Christians, right? So there are those who just profess by name and just take mm-hmm. the label of a religion, but they don't really apply. The, they don't believe anything about it or practice it. And, and there's those who actually profess faith in Christ, but they they just profess it, but they don't have faith. They don't possess faith in Christ. They don't actually live it. They're not saved. They're not Christians. Mm -hmm. So it's the same way. I wouldn't be like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. They would be like, you know, there's tons of Christians in Denmark by name, right? Mm -hmm. It's a Christian country, but you go and you're like, Oh no, definitely not a Christian country. This is a very secular country Mm -hmm. and culture. So, um, and like Muslims are a large group of people. They're all defined by their following of Islam, but they're very different. Mm-hmm. So they're like Indonesian Muslim is different than Turkish Muslims and Turkish mm-hmm. Muslims are okay. different than Malaysian Muslims. So they're all very different and they, right. they can't be grouped into one, you know, um, so That's there's, um, you there's know, there's a cultural a, aspect to the religion. Yeah. There's elements of, of Islam that certain Muslims, uh, carry they have to be like and it has elements of peacefulness in it but they have to it's a huge uh different difference from the jihadist militant jihadist muslims um so you can't we can't lump them together so yeah. if people um say that i i agree with them i would say i would say islam is still a false religion um yes it's uh they don't follow the true God, but not all mm. Muslims are the same. So, Right. No, I, I yeah. agree. I think the vast majority of Muslims, as far as I can tell, are peaceful people. And yet, um, I would say that the outlier 
And I, just to be fair, I don't, I don't think that the outlier is quite as much as of an outlier as, as we have within Christianity, at least today, today. Yeah. There are some examples of violent Christians, but they're really few and far between. Whereas when it yeah. comes to Islam present time today, we, we have, a, it's, it's not like it's just, you know, one in a million or a needle in a haystack. There, there's, there's a lot of violent Muslims. I'm still willing to say that it's not the majority, um, but it's certainly a higher percentage. I, I feel completely oh, confident yeah. saying there's a higher percentage yeah. of, of violent Muslims yeah. today than there yeah. are violent Christians today. Oh, and, 100%. Um, and I think my whole point is to say, I, you know, so that's not, it's not fair to say all Muslims. But would you call like them, the, would you call them Christians though? Like, I'm like... Well, How yeah, yeah. You, I, no, you no, know what I mean? So what I should say... But no, I know I what you not, mean, yeah. But what I should say is just professing. Yeah, and exactly. That's, that's what I mean in terms of yeah. professing Christians. So even among professing Christians who you, you raise a great point, you and I would both say, well, that, that person's probably not regenerate. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you know, we don't have election goggles, and so we, we don't know for sure, but we, but we can look at the fruit of a person. Yeah. Jesus speaks to that, and so... Uh, and so we could say, yeah, I don't even think that person is a Christian. But what I'm saying is just those who would bear the name, those who would profess, yeah. although, like you said, not necessarily possess salvation, but they yeah. would profess. Yeah. Um, and so with professing Christians, even which would be broader than those who are actually true Christians, um, yeah. it still would be a sliver. It would be it would be a, mi- yeah. a, a, a serious minority that would be violent. And yet within Islam, and- although, yes, millions of of peaceful Muslims and perhaps still a minority of those who are violent. It's still a, we have to be honest in saying it's, it's not just a needle in a haystack. It's not just a sliver. It may be a minority, but it's a, it's a much significantly larger percentage. And I'll tell you one thing is that I say that, that there are lots of peaceful Muslims, but for example, um, my mom went back to Iran. um, I don't remember if, many years back now, but she was a Christian and her family knew that she was a Christian. So these are the, our family members. So her brother and, and one of her brothers didn't even want to touch her because she's unclean now. Um, Mm. Didn't, didn't hug her. Didn't after years of not seeing her. So because he's upset that she's converted. So that's one thing too, where um, now he's not going to kill her, but he is disgusted. Okay, so that's right. another thing where you're like, wow, like that is really severe way of treating yeah. people, family, right? Right. right? That's a doctrine in, uh, in, you know, in the in the Quran and Islam that is not violent but very aggressive towards apostasy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if someone walked away from Christianity, we would pray for them. We would be sorrowful. We wouldn't want to kill them. Um, right. So her and then. Um, I wouldn't be disgusted by it because I think what's what's key is that you mentioned like he didn't want to touch her. You know, like she's unclean. He's disgusted because if you just said, you know, he didn't want to interact with her. Then again, I would play the devil's advocate and push back and say that we do has to have verse in the New Testament that for those who profess, they claim to be a brother. Right. But they've denied the truth. They're apostate. They've walked away. Do not even share a meal. 
And so there is, you know, and so there is Christian doctrine. So that's my point. I I want to be as fair to the subject as possible and saying, yes, we do have Old Testament texts where God tells Israel to commit genocide, you know, and we do have even New Testament texts that take sin very seriously with excommunication. And actually, and actually one of the ways that we teach someone uh, repentance were used as an agent at the end of the day. Repentance is a gift that comes from God sovereignly. He either grants it or he doesn't. But one of the ways that God uses his people, the church, as an as an agent in granting repentance is by the church obeying New Testament commands and withdrawing, intentionally withdrawing relationship and community from the impenitent sinner in such a way that they are taught to be ashamed is, yeah. is what Paul says elsewhere. And so, yeah. um, so there are that there is that kind of language, but nowhere is there this sense of, um, and we withdraw that relationship because we're disgusted by you. No, no, no. It's right. always no. love for you. It's yeah. just tough love. Just like the yeah. father who spanks his child. It's not like, yeah. Hey, I've been loving you, but at this point I've got to stop loving you. And now I have to spank you. No, we never right. stop loving you. If we right. get to that point, it, we're still in well underneath the banner of love. It's just another form of love. It's tough love. And um, it's probably so. harder for you as a Christian to not show that love to that person. It's hard right. to do that, right? right. It, it breaks right. your heart. But to them, right. it's like you're an animal now. You're like you're, you're, yeah. We don't touch pigs. We don't touch you. That's the same kind of wow. equal. That's how gotcha. LFCs basically unbelievers, right? And yep. so that day, the next day, um, my mom's brother's wife uh, called her and said, well, why don't we go to these mullahs or whatever they're called to kind of have a discussion to see if they can, you know, uh, convince you, knowing full well that if my mom went to the government, basically those mullahs, and if that mullah mm-hmm. was a crazy one, that would that was a fanatic one that would be super offended that she had apostatized, she could be imprisoned. So like yeah. it is it, so yes, they're our family, they're peace loving and for the most part, but they would go to the length of mm-hmm. um, having you be imprisoned for apostatizing. So that yeah. to me is a little bit like no, maybe not everybody would do that still because there's a lot mm-hmm. of nominal Christ, um, Muslims. Right. Mm-hmm. But do you know what yep. I mean? So there's those no, really aggressive yeah, we, ways. <laughs> It's the same thing that I said earlier, bug versus feature. Another way of saying it is um, there are many peaceful Muslims because there are many nominal Muslims. Exactly. Right? And, and that's a big, that's a, that's a profound statement. Whereas yeah. you and I, if we, if we turned, you know, and, and pointed, you know, our sights on Christianity, we'd say there are few violent Christians because there are some crazy Christians, right? There, yeah. You know, like there are some violent Christians because there are some unfaithful Christians. Yeah. Whereas, whereas we would say there are a, a, a fair amount of violent Muslims because there are a fair amount They're of com- committed. Because that's what we would say. Muslims. I think it's yeah. exactly where where you find a violent Christian, you find someone who's gotten off the rails. Where yeah. you find a violent Muslim, you find someone who is true to really yeah. true to the text. Yeah. yeah. True to the text. Exactly. Um, all right. Any, any final thoughts? We've got to go ahead and wrap up. Anything else you wanna, you'd like to say? No, that's good. <laughs> okay. So how can our listeners, um, how can they be praying for you and how can they follow you and keep up with your online ministry? Um, I'm basically just on Instagram right now. Um, that's great. Biblical and reform. That's it. Cool. Okay. Any, yeah. anything that uh, our listeners can be praying for? Um. Yeah, for just for the K 
Canadian government to really mm-hmm. be yeah. um, aligned with the truth <laughs> because it's getting really, um, really harsh here now, unfortunately. Yeah. And- you know, with and courage for and Christians. everything, and yeah, yeah, courage for Christians. In, in the meantime, yeah, we, James Coates is uh, one of our guests um, as well with this show that we'll, we'll be uh, oh, nice. we'll be doing That's soon. Awesome. So, yeah, that Canada's Canada's getting crazy, especially for Christians. Yeah, so, yeah we'll be praying for um, the civil magistrates in Canada, and also praying for uh, perseverance and courage for the Christians in the midst of that. So, Amen. thanks yeah. uh, so much, Thank Hasty, you. for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Me too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for watching this video. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy it, uh, we hope that you'll take a moment and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can watch more content like this. Also, take a moment and give this video a like so that it can reach more people. And take a moment and click on the bell so that you'll be notified whenever we come out with new content. Thanks so much. God bless.